stories that caution us about the evils of greed and the dangers of wealth and being bound and, and anchored to things that we ought not be anchored to in this life. More than any other single subject in the scriptures, it's arguably wealth and possessions and power that get the most attention. So one might be tempted to think that Jesus didn't think well of those who are wealthy. And then having this story today where he asks someone who obviously has a lot of possessions to go and sell and give that to the poor is just one more example of this. But before we judge the, harsh, the, the rich man too harsh today, let's take this whole story into account as it unfolds and, and what it, I think, is trying to teach us all today. If we do, I think what we see is that there's something more here than our relationship with possessions and monies to deal with, although it is that. Now, this was something that the rich man needed to address in his own life. It was his one thing you might say. But there are plenty of other things in our life, in our living, that we all have that, well, we all might have that one thing that we, too, need to deal with today. There are things that get between us and God, which is the definition of sin, and sometimes get between us. Now, we see evidence of this because the disciples, they seem to be just as disappointed as the rich man at Jesus' words to him based on his question to Jesus. And he turns to them and he, and he says that wealth makes it difficult for people to enter into eternal life and into the kingdom. And it perplexes them. It, it astounds them that he would say that. And, and then he says, in fact, it's impossibly hard. Those are my words. For anyone to gain the kingdom or, or to receive eternal life. What does he mean by that? Well, to drive this point home, he likens it to walking into the kingdom, walking into the kingdom likens it to a camel walking through the eye of a needle. That's a great metaphor. I love that metaphor. There's no doubt what he's saying. That can't be done <laughs> if you've ever tried it. The Babylonian Talmud is an old Jewish commentary and it focused on the laws of Moses and how we're to understand them. And it said something similar, but in its telling, it replaced, a, um, it replaced the camel with an elephant. So I guess for uh, the rabbis, it was harder to get into heaven than it was for Jesus, considering that. Whatever the creature we might want to use for this metaphor of walking through the eye of a needle, be it a mouse or an elephant, the message is clear Jesus is not only saying it is difficult, but it is impossible for anyone's good deeds, our possessions, our powers, to gain them life in the kingdom eternal. Peter seems perplexed. All of the disciples are perplexed by this because we can only follow that to a logical conclusion. And we begin to see this is clearly more than about one man's wealth and possessions. This is about any of us grasping the problem here. Then they ask, well, who can be saved if this is the truth? And when Peter says, look, we've left everything to follow you, he speaks for all of them who have left behind many good things, family and friends and fields and, and fishing nets to follow Jesus, sacrifice much in order to follow Christ. And they felt that that ought to count for something. 
Recall, if you will, with me over the last few weeks, a couple of times now, Jesus has caught the disciples off to the side scheming. He's caught them arguing about who of them is most important, which of them is the greatest, which of them had impressed Jesus the most, and that when he comes into his kingdom, they're going to be right by his side because of how well they've done. They've done that a few times now. So it seems that now we're getting to the honest reality that they thought they had that their sacrifices had drawn them closer to Jesus and God than others, even each other. But now it's clear they had not. And so Mark sets us down today among these disciples. And we get to hear this interaction with the rich man and the call in his life. And we see that we all need to learn to let something go. We have witnessed Peter expressing concern that even after all he has done and, and given away, it hasn't gotten him any closer to God than when they started. And now we're left to consider the same today. We are left to consider all that we have collected through hard work and faithful living, be it possessions or privilege or, or honor in this world. And we see that it counts far less to God than we want to imagine. This story is about all of us. It's about the impossibility of our possessions and our good deeds, our pure living, adding one ounce of spiritual credit and how much we matter to God. And we come to this in various ways in life as well, between one another and the hard work that we do. We've all been at that place where the hard work we've done and the sacrifices that we have, that have, we have given have, have not paid off. That we're not seeming to get any fruits in return for that. And we can know what it feels like to be Peter or, to rich, or the rich man today. Sometimes we realize that for as much as we've done, for as much as we sacrifice, God still wants more from us. God's not done with us. Now this can be a hard pill to swallow. In fact, that pill can be the size of a camel for us at times. And maybe this is harder for you and I to learn today than even in Jesus' day. Just wondering that. We live in this global economy now. We live in, in a world that's highly transactional. We spend our currencies, our, whether it be time or our gifts, our talents, or whatever they may be. And, but it comes in our giving those things that we expect to get back of equal return. We talk of things as paying off. We, we, we look for, as the idiom says, we look to get more bang for our buck. We learn that investing is a good practice, and if we'll do it, and if we have patience, if we'll wait, the rewards will come later. Well, the problem with this, this is not how the kingdom of God works. When it comes to the kingdom of God, things are not transactional. They are sacrificial. And the great pride that we can have in our personal ownerships, our successes, they don't measure in the kingdom like they measure in our world today. And Jesus says this a lot. He says it today in our closing verse. He says that it is the poor who will inherit the kingdom. It is the sinner who will go ahead of us into the kingdom. The last will be first. We die to self. We, we sacrifice for the sake of one another. That's the road to the kingdom. That's 
the currency of the kingdom, you might say. Therefore, we can see clearly that our good works, our faithful living, they're not building up some spiritual account with God. And if this is true, then what this means is that we may have a thousand things going right in our lives. We may have a thousand good things that we do as people of faith, but we can have that one thing that still hangs on, that gets between us and God, and it still matters. Even a cloud of wonderful things that we do, that one thing can still be a barrier. And Jesus says that not letting go of that one more thing, whatever it is for you and me, makes gaining eternal life impossible. It makes walking through this life like walking the camel through the eye of a needle. I came across a great story, a funny story, I thought, about how to catch a monkey. Now, you've seen those videos of monkeys that steal things, of tourists They'll steal sunglasses off your head. iPhones go climbing up into trees with them. Handbags will be taken. All kinds of things, will, they'll come in and, and they'll take, in, take them who knows where. It always confounds me because I wonder, what's that animal going to do with the things they're taking? What is it that attracts them to take something that really is not going to add any value to their lives whatsoever? It still puzzles me. But you wouldn't know that watching the fervor for which they do their business. Now, they're almost impossible to catch when they get away with their things. Yet, the, mo the very motivation that makes them so great at this is also the very thing that makes them easy to catch. Now, what I mean by that? Well, as I understand it, if you take a thick glass bottle with a thin neck, with an opening just big enough for a monkey to get his hand and arm in, and just big enough to get a, a sweet-smelling, uh, fruitful nut inside of it, hang that from a tree... Eventually, one of those monkeys will come along and they'll stick their hand and their arm down in there, grab that nut, and then go to pull it out, but you can't because their hand's wrapped around that nut. And so at this point, it makes them very vulnerable to be caught. Now, now they got two choices to make. One, hold on to that prized possession, even if it means they're going to be captured. Or two, simply let it go and go free. Now, I find this um, an irony, if you will, and I think the same irony is in our story today but because it talks about the impossibility of escape if you hold on to that thing for which you desire so much, but it entraps you. But at the same time, so easy to let go of and be freed. Jesus says this is kind of how our faith works at times. He says to Jesus, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. There's a detail about our story today that I think is very important. And I think this important detail helps us see that this is a story of grace. Now, I know we, we know that the Gospels of Matthew and Luke used Mark's Gospel to, to write their story. And we know that because verbatim, some of what's in Mark is, is put into those two Gospels. And this is one of those stories, except for one detail that Matthew and Luke omit. What they do not include is a simple little phrase, Jesus saw them and loved him. And it troubled me, as I found this out of the, of the commentary I read, that, 
they took this out. And I wonder why would Matthew and Luke take this small detail out? Did they do it on purpose? Was it because they needed the rich man to be worse than he really was? Did, did they need us to really dislike him and see how bad he was? It's possible. I cannot know, but what I do know is that we live in a world that we love our heroes. We also love our villains too. We like to have our villains maybe too much. Even if we cannot know why Matthew and Luke exclude this little detail of loving the rich man, I think it matters that we know it's there. I think it's important to consider that knowing that this man had one thing that he must deal with, that he still loved him already. Jesus was not trying to make it hard for him He's not trying to make it impossible for us to gain eternal life and enter the kingdom. He wants us to see that we cannot earn that. That it is a gift that is impossible to receive without God's grace and mercy. Jesus came as the embodiment of that gift. He came as that symbol of sacrifice for you and me. We are his great reward even though we didn't love him. We have every reason to believe that this rich man had done a thousand things right in his life. He came to Jesus on bended knee. He had lived faithfully. And he was still mature enough to know, I need to ask him if there's anything else in my life I need to work on. Only those who discern ask such questions. He's the opposite of the man who said, beat his chest and said, I'm so glad I'm not like those sinners. He is the complete opposite of that. Knowing he was right, Jesus points out his one more thing, and it was a hard pill for him to swallow, but he did. Whether he did or not, we do not know. That's one of the questions this passage always has people asking me. Well, what did you think he gave his possessions away? I don't know. But he felt disappointed, and wouldn't we all? <laughs> If we were asked to do such a thing, Peter was disappointed, but he still became the rock for which the church was built on. So I believe what we're left to ask is, will we? Will we let go of that one thing that gets between us and God today so that we can live more freely, so that we can live for the sake of the mission that we are on as followers of Christ? You see, this journey we're on, it does not end with a reward. It begins with a reward. God has not held back. God has poured out mercy and forgiveness upon us. Eternal life is right there for our taking and receiving. And it begins with love and grace and the sacrifice that Christ offered us. But we must let go of some things from time to time to find the freedom of that gift. Yes, the rewards for our receiving such a gift, they come first. Now our culture, it doesn't value things like sacrifice or mercy and grace, and it doesn't sound like much of a reward, but as followers of Christ, this is the greatest thing that we can ever do. One last detail I think is important for us to pick up here, and that's the high expectations that God puts upon us. Will Willimon was teaching a Bible study on this lesson in a college dormitory, and he presented the story of the rich man, and he asked them as, as, the, as the study went on, so what do you all make of this story? 
He expected them to think this was bad news. And this idea that we might have to give away all of our possessions didn't sound like a lot of fun, usually, to folks. And someone asked, had Jesus ever met this man? He said, well, why do you ask? Because Jesus seems to have a lot of faith in him. He demands him to do something risky, something that's radical. And I wondered if Jesus already knew he was prone to doing something like he's asking him to do. It's been my experience that the professors who who demand much of us is because they see much in us. So I wonder, what was it about this man that Jesus saw that he thought he could be one of his followers? And Willimon is surprised by that. And yet another student said, man, I wish Jesus would ask something like this of me. My parents totally control my life. They make all the calls, and I think it's because they they pay all the bills still. Probably right. (laughs) And I complain a lot about them calling the shots, but I get tired of that stuff, but I don't think I could ever break free. Maybe, though, Jesus thinks I can. And I think they get this story perfectly. Indeed, it's obvious that Jesus thought a lot of this young man. It's true that he's invited him to come along the way with him. But the same invitation is for you and me. And the ask is demanding. If we will follow Christ, it must mean that we give away everything for the sake of this mission. So I want to ask you, is there a part of your life today that you are holding on to that you might need to give away in order to follow Christ more fully. So I want to invite you, if you feel comfortable doing so, to close your eyes with me. And let me share a little bit of this story with you and ask you to walk along with me for a second. I want you to imagine that it's not the rich man who approaches Jesus today, but it is you. And you tell him that you've lived a good and faithful life. You've You have followed what it means to be a disciple. And you're wondering, what more must you do? And Jesus' face lights up. Oh, you lack one more thing. What is that thing he tells you today? What is it in your life that you might want to sacrifice to gain eternal life? God, as we leave this place today, free us of those impossible burdens and help us to move freely towards eternal life, the full life, the inherited life you have given us in Christ because we have grabbed onto the gift of grace and we find joy in trying to live into the high expectations you put, us, put on our lives. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.